there's a lot of distrust in our system because I think depending on what you listen to, what you want to hear, you can find anything that you want to find on the internet to support your point of view. So it becomes critical for physicians to have open, honest conversations with patients and their caregivers to say, help me understand why you're fearful of getting this vaccine. Mm-hmm. And and truly meeting people where they are. And COVID's not going anywhere, friends. But what we're seeing because the population is getting vaccinated is we're seeing milder courses of illness, which mm-hmm. is wonderful, right? But it's not gone away. My name is Mandy Segel, and I'm a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segel, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. On today's show, we're once again talking about COVID vaccines, because as you hear on Modern Minorities, we are all about the COVID-19 vaccine. And by now, we should have gotten not one, not two, not three, well, maybe three, but maybe four shots. Vaxxed and boosted, Raman, because when it comes to global pandemics, we have to think about not just ourselves, but also our communities and our families, and much of the dismay of our parents, neither Raman or I are actually doctors. <laughs> if only we knew a doctor that we could have on the pod, Sharon. Um, Raman? Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Sharon, we've got to first read some of the official sponsors. Oh, that's now. right. That's right. Right. So this episode sponsor is the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, who asked us to enroll a professional of the medical variety. And since I'm pretty sure Sharon is still also not a doctor, we're trying to figure out if we knew any doctors we could call. Um, Raman? What's up, Sharon? We do know a doctor pretty well. Yeah, but we already had Dr. JT Tolentino on the pod two times. Yeah, I know. But there's another doctor that you know pretty well. (sighs) Sharon, Dr. Bevan was one of the very first guests on this pod way back when in 2020, just as this crazy pandemic was getting started. And now I think he's crazy busy with his ER residency. No, no, no. I mean, there's like this really successful Indian doctor we've been wanting to get on this pod. Well, again, Bevanante is kind of Indian, given his like South African heritage. But also, I actually looked up popular doctor podcaster, Dr. Mona, and she wasn't available. Her assistant said we have to wait at least until November or December to get on the pod. Oh my God, Raman. Do I have to tiger mom this and call up your parents? Well, somebody needs to set the record straight, Sharon. <laughs> well, it's longtime friend of the pod and our favorite doctor in Florida, Dr. Mandy Segel, rum and sister. It's about time. <laughs> Isn't it though, pod friends? It's about time. Oh, I mean, God. I'm second choice. Oh, <laughs> and that's okay because family always comes last, but I'm here. I'm here to set the record straight. I am just going to recuse myself from this entire podcast. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, we've mentioned her many, many times because Mandy's probably our most loyal listener. 
Today's guest is Remen's sister, Dr. Mandy Segel, who is a board-certified geriatrician and family medicine physician. And basically, unlike her brother, even though she doesn't have a podcast, Mandy's doing important things like saving people's lives. So she probably knows a thing or two about vaccines and other things. Welcome to the podcast, Mandy. Thank you, Sharon. It's so nice to finally talk to you. I feel like I've known you based on listening all the time and connecting lots of my friends to this podcast. So the one thing that I feel like I need to be here today to do is to correct all of the falsehoods that my brother has put out there about our childhood. <laughs> this this whole podcast is fake news. Yes. Uh, but It's all that, about perspective, a- Roman. It's all about perspective. <laughs> Certain, it's a certain perspective. Look, uh, we can do that, I guess, as long as we also talk about vaccines, because as we all know, there's this thing called COVID out there, and that's what the fine folks at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services wanted to do. Fair enough. All right. Awesome. So if you're planning on getting together with your family, you should protect, like these two have on this podcast, (laughs) you should definitely protect yourself and them by getting an updated COVID vaccine. If you're 50 or older, you're at greater risk for hospitalization and death, especially if you have a chronic disease. Who knows a thing or two about people over 50? Are you about to say your sister? Yes. And that's not because I'm 50. (laughs) Yet. Yet. (laughs) All right. So, Dr. Mandy, I hear you're a board-certified geriatrician and family medicine physician, but I guess what people really want to know, where are you from? Well, if they've listened to your intro, they should know. I, too, am from Montgomery, Alabama, born and raised. And what all the folks at home want to know is what you say when folks ask you, where are you really from? I really say I'm from Montgomery, Alabama, because <laughs> I, I'm fascinated. I you, usually, sound, you, sound, you sound like you're from Alabama, more I, than me. I, I do sound like I'm from Alabama more than you. Really, often what I'll ask them is, why did you ask me that question? Hmm. Because I, I really want to put the ball back in their court to find out what they're really looking for. Yeah. So just this weekend, I will tell you, I was at an event with my daughter and somebody came up to me and was, I think, trying to pay a compliment, but she said, you're really pretty. And I said, oh, thank you. And she says, what are you? Hmm. And I paused for a second because it's been a really long time since somebody's asked me that question that way. And I said, well, I'm a human being. Good answer. Truthful one. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she just looked at me and I said, I think, I said, why are you asking me that? And she stopped because I think she realized. And she then said, well, where are you from? And then, of course, I say Alabama. And then, of course, where are you really from? And it depends on how sassy I'm feeling that day as to how far I'll let it go. But it <laughs> to be clear, to be clear, my entire experience is you have a high average level of sass when, <laughs> so, when confronted with nonsense. So, but yesterday was not the time. So I gave in and I told her. So as Raman's told you on the pod many times, my ethnic heritage is East Indian. And so, but yes, we were both born and raised in, in Alabama and people are always surprised by that. It's our fun fact. It is our fun fact. Even though I do hear the Alabama, I do hear it more in your voice than in Remens. It's so interesting to finally talk to you. It's there mostly when I'm tired, which I am all the time lately because of COVID. But yes, it's been a long two and a half years being a physician during COVID times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to go back way before COVID though for a second. So 
besides having a, an annoying little brother, I can't even imagine <laughs> what that was oh, like. Oh, their stories. Up. Yeah. What was it like for you growing up in Alabama? Well, it depends on, I guess, what part, right? So I think, again, as Robin shared on this podcast, and so have several of your other guests in the past, there's an inside your house culture, and then there's an outside your house culture. So inside our house culture was very much East Indian. We had our traditions, and as much as our mom tried to westernize things a little bit, it was still fairly East Indian centric, I would say. And then we had our outside. Wait, can I ask a question? Sorry. Yeah. Why are we saying East Indian? I've never said that. Like, did mom and dad call it? No, because where I live now in South Florida, I have a lot of West Indian colleagues. Hmm. But, But hang on, hang on. Our people are from Punjab, which is literally on the Western border with Pakistan. So why are we calling it East Indian? Is that like British East Indian? And what are our West Indies like? So I, I need to be educated now. Like, so I call it East India yeah. to differentiate it from my West Indian colleagues. Right. And where are West Indian people from? Well, to my knowledge, they're from the Caribbean islands. So places like Trinidad and Guyana. The people that I'm specifically speaking about are people from Trinidad, people from Guyana, and other islands in the Caribbean. Yeah. But those are just two that I know of. But they, yeah. they're mm. culturally very similar to us because they mm-hmm. eat things like roti. and sure. But instead of calling it chicken curry, they call it curried chicken, <laughs> which is like, I know it's a small thing, but it's fascinating when you hear it said Wait, differently. What do, you, what, what do you call it? You call, you call it curry chicken? Chicken, cur- chi- chicken curry. You call it chicken curry. What do I call it? I think I call it curry chicken. Well, it depends if you're, I mean, you have a Caribbean husband. You I should, do. You should ask him. Yeah. Yeah. And my mother-in-law is part West Indian. So. See? Curry chicken. <laughs> <laughs> That's the differentiator. Well, also, they also stuff their roti, right? Which is they also. Do. Because yes. here we got really excited when we first moved to Florida and we found a roti shop. I was like, oh my goodness, what is this? And we went down and it was something very different than the roti that I know. Yeah, their their rotis are more like burritos. Totally it's delicious. Like to be yeah, clear. everything is inside the roti. Yes, and whereas and, eat, we eat it separately, right? So again, similar but different. We're all part but of- but we we don't eat it enough. Like I don't know about you, Mandy, but like I can't cook roti. <laughs> like but mom my, can cook roti, and my seven year old can cook roti. Because their respective grandma's been teaching. That is exactly like right. from like from scratch. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. impressive. That, actually, that impressive. actually happened on a vacation recently when our, our parents were visiting and we were in this vacation house and like our mom just went on a tear teaching my daughter. And it occurred to me the other night because she was talking about it over dinner and I was like, oh shit. So my mom can cook me roti and when my daughter grows up, she's going to be cooking me roti. So I, <laughs> I can like just skip it completely. You can skip a generation. Does it require special equipment? No. No, right? Just competence, which I don't have. I just and don't know how you, you make it so like thin and like get it to that. Well, I think that's just practice, right? That's just mm-hmm. practice. Yeah. But I, I don't think that it requires any skill. It it's not even that complicated of a recipe. It just is <laughs> it's like flour and pan. <laughs> it, it isn't. It it's just it's what's the right way to say this? It's just technique. You gotta want you gotta wanna do it. Right. True. That's how right? I feel about fresh pasta. Yeah, it's not hard. Like, it's not hard, but it just seems so complicated because you could just open up a can. Uh, but you, but a maybe box. you don't make roti. Your daughter makes you the roti, right? 
But she doesn't really, but she can. Okay. But no. yes. <laughs> I don't even know how we got there. <laughs> what are you talking about? All right. Mandy, going back to Alabama growing up. <laughs> yes. But I'm also curious to know like what you wanted to be when you grew up. And, and so all, what all I wanted to be when I grew up was a teacher because my mom was a teacher. And That's right. I've all heard that. of the women that I knew, the role models that I had that were working were teachers. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted to be. And my mom and dad basically said, you can't be a teacher. They said, you um, can't be a teacher, even though she mm-hmm. was a teacher. That's exactly right. And so and dad was too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so I was like, hmm, well. Well, why not? Did they say exactly. why not? Why not? And, and mm-hmm. my mom said, teachers in this country aren't valued. And she's not wrong about that. And we want you to make sure that you're able to be self-sufficient and never to have to rely on anybody else for anything. That was always the messaging that I was given, which I thought was really progressive for Mm -hmm. an Indian family in the early 80s. Yep. Um, And my dad always said, you can do anything you want to do. Don't ever let anybody ever tell you that you can't do anything you want to do. And Except your parents who are telling you. Exactly. You. But in terms of <laughs> don't ever let somebody yeah. say you can't change a tire because yes, you can. And let me go show you how to do that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't yep. ever like my dad taught. I don't know if he taught you this, Roman, but he taught me how to change a tire, how to change yep. spark plugs, how to change yep. our oil. We were very self-sufficient kids. I got the shittier version of the car that you drove. So of course I had to learn it because the car was in worse condition. You ruined it for him, Mandy. (laughs) Oh, no, no, I was better for it. To be very clear, Roman got a lot of the better deals on the back end of things. So we probably, I don't know how much of that you want to get into, but. (laughs) In this 10 podcast episodes. Exactly. Exactly. This could be a whole mini series inside the series. I am here to represent all of the oldest <laughs> children. That's all I'm going to say about that. So you wanted to be a teacher. They said, don't do it, even though we're doing it. Yeah. Well, and, and so I was like, fine. But then, okay, what, what do I have to do? So in, in high school, we had to take an aptitude test, right? Mm-hmm. So to try to figure out, I think every high school does this. I'm not sure. Anyways, we did it. And it basically differentiated what you were good at from what you weren't good at, where you would excel, where you wouldn't excel, so, so on and so forth. And I came out fairly high in the liberal arts and then math and science. So, yeah. I mean, the, the reason I think you're going to ask me, like, why are you a doctor? I Some people come out of the womb and know that that's what they want to do. And yeah. more power to those people. I was not one of those people. Did your parents push you into it? Or did they give you that idea at all? Oh, yeah. Because that okay. was one of the professions that was respected. Sure. Right? Yeah. That was valued in this country, maybe less so now, but certainly then. And that you could you could make a, a decent living and and not have to rely on and be self-sufficient. Right. So, yeah, they pushed me into that direction. And so I said, let's give it a go. Let's see. And there was an opportunity to apply for a program where from acceptance to college, you also got accepted into medical school. So right out of high school. Wow. So I said, well, let's see. And if we get into this, well, then the universe is trying to say something. And so I I got into that program and I think the rest is history. And did you ever find It's really not deeper than that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just interesting, right? Because so many of us, especially those of us with Asian parents, were told too that we had to be doctors or lawyers or engineers or other things. And 
I was pre-med my undergrad years. And then I took a class. Oh, what was it called? Evolutionary biology, I think was the name of the class. And it was basically a class where you had to dissect animals, right? Mm -hmm. Or like living beings and kind of going down the evolutionary chain. So you started off with maybe like a worm and then anyway, so every week it was kind of going up the chain. And so I did frogs and that was okay because in high school we had also dissected frogs. But the week after were, were cats and we dissected a cat and I was like, I can't. Because I think eventually you work, worked up to like cadavers or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I I just couldn't do it. I was like, I like that was that was my limit. My limit was cutting open an animal that could have been someone's pet. Yeah, and I just hard. wonder if you had moments like that where you were kind of like, this just doesn't feel right anymore or – I don't know if this is right for me anymore. I think anybody who goes into medicine has had moments like that. And if they mm -hmm. haven't had moments like that, I think they're not telling you the truth. Yeah. I think for me, it was the one question I'm often asked is when people find out that I'm a physician is they'll say, gosh, you went to school for a really long time. And to me, I never really thought about the time perspective, like number of years to end training. It mm -hmm. always just was sort of begin with the end in mind and then continue the path. And I just kept excelling in the path. So it just seemed like very reasonable. I didn't think that there were other options. And that right. seems ridiculous to say. Um, I'm always very jealous of people who figured out that there were other options. But it's just, I was always just really good at the things that were placed in front of me. And so I just kept going. And it was you get through med school, you pass several tests, you sort of ring a bell, and then you move on to your residency training. And you go through residency and you pass several tests and you ring another bell and then the next thing comes on. And it's sort of just like for people like me who are gold star junkies, we like to pass things, yeah. to go on to the yeah. next thing, to collect the prizes, so to speak. And then you get into real practice. And that's where the letdown happens because then you're in practice and you're in your either early 30s or late 30s, depending on how long your residency was. And you're like, this is it. <laughs> right? Because then our age match peers, right, have finished college or probably on their first marriage, have had their children and have already started their earning potential. And we are just like in our early to mid 30s and just beginning our lives. So there's a lot of what I like to call delayed adolescence that happens too, with physicians, where we just, because we were in school that entire time throughout our lives. But what I always found interesting, because like, we obviously grew up together, and then we spent many years apart while you were on your medical journey, and I was Venting across the United States, yes. <laughs> and the world. No, but figure, the world. figuring it out. Figuring it out. But, and then we came back together in that period, right? Mm -hmm. You were coming out, we were roommates for a, a brief moment during your one of your medical fellowships. And we got to know each other as grownups, and it was almost like a sitcom. But the thing that the odd I couple, <laughs> yeah. But the thing I, I really came to admire at that moment in time, other than like us being grownups after not really having seen each other since teen years, effectively. I mean, so we saw each other at like Christmas and Thanksgiving and stuff. Um, was it wasn't so much a pivot, but you like bolted two extra things onto your career. Right, one was the idea of academics and two, and I guess not so much a bolt on because you were studying family medicine, but you decided to specialize in geriatrics. And I guess I want to unpack that. I mean, I think the educator part is like, just like, it makes so much sense. We look back at mom and dad always being teachers and the role models in our life, be it 
Dr. Holland or Sherry or Miss Stringer, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of these people were teachers, right? Mm-hmm. So they were like gods to us almost. Or just like the cool uncles and aunties. Well, they were right? mentors. They were effectively yeah. role models and mentors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But geriatrics. I I mean, I think when the my business brain turned on and I looked at like the demographics, but like what made you pursue geriatric medicine specifically? Because that's, that's a- not, right? It's not brain surgery. You could have made a shitload more money in radiology. I remember we talked about that back in the day. Yeah, that's true. So I don't think that I went into medicine for the money. That once mm-hmm. I got into medical school, for me it became this idea of, and so to back up just a little bit, when you're in medical school in your third year, in most medical schools then, and and the curriculum has changed a little bit now, but then in your third year, you rotated through all of the major fields of medicine. So surgery and pediatrics and obstetrics and gynecology, psychiatry, internal medicine, family medicine, basically trying to decide Again, what is it that you want to be when you grow up? What specialty do you want to pursue? And again, some people had already known this. They were like predestined to be a surgeon, came into medical school knowing that that's what they were going to do. And I came in sort of undifferentiated. I don't know. I want to see and explore all of it. And when I did my family medicine rotation, I loved it. I loved every bit of it because I got to see children. I got to see adults. I got to see older adults. I got to deliver babies. It was amazing. I got to care for the entire person throughout their life spectrum. And I thought that that was amazing. And to connect with people on a real personal level, to have that continuity of care where people kept coming back to you. And the highest honor really then and still now for me is when people will refer their family to see me or their friends because they have that much trust and faith in you. It's incredibly humbling, but I loved every bit of that. And I was really in medical school, really dissuaded from doing family medicine. Oh, you're too smart to do that. And I was like, but smart people need to do this. This is yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah. And it's primary care is important. And truly primary care is the bedrock of what everybody needs. And it's can still- I Can I say something really quick? Like, yeah. I feel like every time there's a famous doctor on TV, like in Mandy and I'll be like home because mom and dad have seen They're not a primary care doctor. Yeah. She's like, they're yeah. not, a, they're just a brain surgeon. They're just a this. And I'm like, and then- it, I don't know how then, much trouble I want to get into on this podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'll, 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 but it's just like, I'm like, I'm a believer. Like the more I've heard Mandy tell me about this, it just makes, like the world will be better if we just- went and saw our like primary care physician. (laughs) Well, right. I mean, if we, if we practiced what we want to preach, right. If we practiced, what do they say? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's it. That's it. I always mix my metaphors, but so it's, it makes sense, right? If you exercise every day, you likely will have good health for the rest of your life. That's not rocket science. That's not the American way though. (laughs) No, but the American way is a pill for every ill. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. really frustrating. What else is frustrating for us as primary care people is to watch. Well, I can only say this from, for me as a primary care person is to watch the success of physicians on television who are espousing the principles of primary care, but who aren't primary care physicians. And they know that they're not. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's really frustrating. Some don't even live in Pennsylvania. Like, well, so. we'll leave him alone. <laughs> I know how much you love that guy. That's so I, I don't think that you want to have a political podcast, but we can certainly go there. But really, almost all of the famous doctors on TV aren't primary care doctors. And that's a real shame for, yeah. for the public. 
quite frankly, because a lot of people, even my age people, don't have primary care doctors. And what does that say? Right. So why did I go into geriatrics? Okay. So when I was in my training, I felt very confident at being able to care for little kids because I had really good pediatrics training. In family medicine, you get comprehensive training in the care of the entire person. So from pediatrics to geriatrics. But I really just didn't feel I had really good training in taking care of middle-aged adults. I just felt like there was something very special and unique about older people that I didn't have those appropriate tools in my tool belt to take care of them. And at that same time, our grandmother was ill multiple times in and out of the hospital, as often happens as you get older. And every time I would go out to see her and would watch the care that she was receiving, I was watching how frustrated I was at the care that she was receiving. There are lots of stories around that too. But I I promised myself then that I wasn't going to be like that. And that I was going to to learn how to do better and, and have the knowledge and skills to do better for other people's grandparents, other people's parents. And to do that was going to require an extra year of training in geriatric medicine. There are a few other reasons, but that's the primary one. And so I pursued a fellowship in geriatric medicine. And then after that, I practiced family medicine in an academic medicine model. And I've been in academic medicine my entire career. So I got my teaching back in with clinical medicine. And I've been doing it now for a really long time. That's amazing. And I love my job, right? Very few people I think can say that they love yeah. their job. I love my job about 90% of the time is what I tell most people. <laughs> Everybody has a 10%. If you day. had said, yeah, if you had said a hundred percent, no one would have believed you. So that's, no. yeah, that's much more honest. But 90% of the time I love my job, but it's been a really tough two and a half years. I'm not going to lie. And that's not, yeah. you know, and I'm an outpatient primary care doctor. Sure. So for me, it hasn't been nearly as difficult as my friends and colleagues who are in the emergency room, who are in the ICU, who are doing that really tough work. We're dealing with the fallout on the outpatient side of things. Where what does that what does that mean? What yeah. That mean? What that means is holding people's hands who've lost a loved one, hmm. talking to a spouse whose husband or wife is in the hospital and very very sick, trying to connect the dots for the inpatient team who doesn't know anything about your patient. And trying to give them that critical information that they need to know to best take care of that person who's in the hospital. Taking care of people where they are in the moment, whether it's triumphs of getting their diabetic glucose control under good control or sadness, losing a spouse, losing a loved one. Mm -hmm. We do it all. And it's a lot. Yeah. It's interesting hearing you speak about this mainly because I don't have a lot of insight into geriatric care. I mean, I've had grandparents that have all now passed away. and But as, as you explain it, I'm thinking about my own mother-in-law who mm-hmm. a few years ago, and she was head nurse, always super healthy and very, very aware of going to doctors and all of that stuff. So like took care of herself her whole life. And she slipped and fell a few years ago and she never she kind of like never went to do anything about it. So she never went for physical therapy. She just never got it checked out. And she's older now. She's in her 70s. And that hip injury has turned into a hip replacement on one Mm -hmm. side. And because one side has gotten replaced, now she's considering getting the other side replaced just because over time, it the imbalance, I guess, wears on either side. And as you're talking, it just makes me this isn't directly connected. It's kind of a circular thought, but I think about pediatric care 
-hmm. And when I bring my own kids and they go to the doctor and especially when they're very, very new, right? Like you're going in every, first it's every couple of days and it's every couple of weeks, every couple of months. Now it's once a year for wellness visits and there are certain milestones and it's always this celebratory, you grew three inches or you gained 20 pounds or are you playing sports now? And are you doing these things? And it's the mindset and the types of questions and also the exam itself is very much about growth and expansion and being more. And I just wonder geriatric care, if a lot of that, you're saying like meeting them in the moment, but I, I also, how do you handle the fact that in probably a lot of cases, you're, you're actually dealing with cases where it's end of life care, right? Mm-hmm. And so- or, 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 or something like we t- end of control, like Mandy, we talked about this, like saying you can't have your driver's license anymore. Right. Yeah. With a lot of empathy mm-hmm. um, and a lot of recognition that I have not been in those shoes. Nobody's ever yeah. asked to take away my driver's license. Right. Yeah. But I can, I can think about what I would feel like if somebody said all of a sudden out of the blue, even though maybe it isn't quite out of the blue, but to that person it is, you can know it's, probably time to consider retiring from driving is how I phrase it. Not, mm-hmm. I need to take your keys away, right? right. Because what does that right. mean? In Th- this is why you're the uh, geriatrician, Sarah <laughs> and I are not. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what does that mean in today's society, right? Yeah. If I were to say to you, Sharon, I need to take your car keys away, but yet you still have to do all the things that you need to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you have to take care of this person. You look at me like I was nuts. Right. I can't function. I mean, you live in, I think, Los Angeles, right? Yep. You don't yep. have a good rapid transit system. Right. 95% of the United States doesn't have a good yeah. rapid transit system. Mm-hmm. So essentially, right, we're socially isolating that person. And right. you have to be really careful to make sure that that person has access to the things that they're going to need. Are they going to be able to get their medicines? Are they going to be able to get their groceries? How are they going to get to their doctor's appointments? Caring for older people is something that is such a privilege, but it's something that people in our country don't want to think about, right? Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to think about aging. Both of you worked for a company that promotes a lot of anti-aging products, right? Those things are heavily promoted because we want to not be old. But is getting older really that bad? There's so many blessings in getting older. And if if you're going to age successfully and well, and that's what geriatricians try to promote. We try to promote quality of life and functionality. And we have a framework that we do that in, which is our 5Ms framework, which is has been- Mandy, 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 Mandy. (laughs) No. (laughs) I know, right? They should just make it that, Mandy. But it's not. It's, it's actually more of a jingle. And then, and then you call it. Be amazing. Okay, no. We'll work on that later with your like evil marketing mind. But no. So the Institute for Healthcare Improvement came up with this with a with very many talented geriatricians from around the country and the and in the world. Came up with this concept of the age-friendly health system. So how do we make it's so that all of the places where people receive care are friendly towards people who are aging? And they came up with this four M's model. And I know I just said five M's and I'll get to that in a second, but the four M's are mind or mentation. So how do we take care of patients with dementia, 
which is cognitive impairment, delirium, which is acute mental status change or depression. How do we take care of and make sure that our health systems are appropriately able to care for people with mobility issues, right? People who use canes or walkers or any other assistive devices. How do we make sure that people's medications are optimized for them? And the fourth M, which really is the most important M to me, is what matters most to our patient? How do we ensure that we're asking the questions in the right way to find out what matters most to our patients? And what I mean by that is, is what are their goals, their values, and their preferences for their care? So the way that I ask that question is, what makes a really good day for you? And people always look at me like, you're my doctor. Are you really supposed to be asking me that question? (laughs) I'm like, I'm really, quite frankly, I'm really interested to know what makes a good day for you. Because if you can tell me what you want to do, then I can make sure that all of the stuff on the healthcare side of things, we tie back into meeting your goals. Mm. And then the fifth M, which the American Geriatric- It's Mandy. No, I know. (laughs) It should be, but it isn't. Is, you know, the American Geriatric Society and all the clinicians in the room said, Mm. but we have our patients are complex. And so Mm. the fifth M is multi-complexity, which is the complexity of aging. How our Mm. physiology changes as we get older, how different disease processes will present differently in older people. So the five M's are mind, ornamentation, mobility, medications, multi-complexity, and what matters most to the patient. So when we see patients, Sharon, to answer your question, it's those are the things that we kind of delve deeper into and we celebrate those successes. That's great. One day when I'm an older woman, I want to come and see you, Mandy, if you're still working. Yeah. Hopefully Hopefully you'll be retired by then. Exactly. But (laughs) here's the other thing, right? That's really important to mention is that in our country, in the United States, geriatrics isn't a very sexy specialty. With, if you look at the bell curve for physician payment, we are some of the lowest paying physicians. So none of us do this for the money. We all do it because we love doing it and we love taking care of our patients and their families. So we do dyadic care. So just like a pediatrician takes care of a child and their parent, we take care of our older patient and their children or their family caregivers in the room. So we have two patients, really, that we're taking care of at all times to make sure that that caregiver, loved one, child, adult child, is able to support our patient in a meaningful way. And those children come in when their parents allow them to come in. I should be very clear. If the, if the patient is not wanting their children to be involved in their care, then we take care of that singular person. But but yeah, no. sometimes even our colleagues don't know that geriatricians or geriatric medicine exists until their family member gets sick that's older. And then they come and find us because then we become relevant. And so there's this concept too of this idea because there are not that many board certified geriatricians in the United States. I think it's less than, less than 6,000, less than 5,500 board certified geriatricians in the U S and we know that there's a demographic imperative of Mm -hmm. older people in the United States. So this concept of big G geriatrics and little g geriatrics. So big G geriatrics is the geriatricians, right? The board certified geriatricians. And the little g geriatrics is everybody else in healthcare. So Mm. geriatrics really, geriatric medicine really has put out a lot of energy and effort into ensuring that all of our trainees are well-versed in caring for older people to the best of our ability to be able to do that, whether it's developing competencies for medical students and primary care residents. We have 
funding for specialists who are interested in caring for older people to come and learn more about the principles of geriatric medicine. So we are recognizing that the, the hallmark of geriatrics is it's a team sport. And we know that we all do better when we all can work together as a team, whether it's the physical therapist and the pharmacist and the physician, the nurse. I'm going to leave a lot of people out, not intentionally, but we all work together better for the patient when we work together as a team. And now a word from our sponsor, the Department of Health and Human Services. Wait, what? Didn't we already encourage everyone to get their vaccine? And boosters. Of course. And boosters, dude. What do you think this is? Amateur hour? Sure thing, Sharon. But as you can tell from the leaves outside, it's autumn. I live in LA. As the rest of us can tell from the leaves outside, it's autumn, aka my favorite time of the year. Ah, yes. Autumn. A time for harvest festivals and family reunions. Don't you mean mid-autumn moon festivals? And festivals of light. And football season. Okay, dude, enough with the sci-fi fake news. We all know you're just watching more Star Wars, Game of Thrones, and Lord of the Rings after your kids are asleep. Okay, okay, fine. But all that other non-streaming stuff this fall involves family and friends. That's right. And if you're planning on getting together with your family, you should protect yourself and them by getting an updated COVID vaccine. If you're 50 or older, you're at the greatest risk for hospitalization and death, especially if you have a chronic disease. This is literally something my better half and I have been talking about for the fall before we see our parents again. Same here. So we want to make sure all of you, our ridiculously smart and influential favorite podcast listeners, get your latest, greatest COVID vaccine. That's right, Sharon. COVID is still serious stuff. So we've all got to do everything we can to keep ourselves and the people we love to. Because honestly, we ain't the spring chickens we used to be. COVID is no joke. So we all have to do our part to protect ourselves, our families, and the communities we work and live in. Protect all of our tomorrows this fall with a vaccine today. The COVID-19 vaccine is safe, effective, and free. Talk to a doctor if you have any questions. You can find vaccines and boosters near you at vaccines.gov. We can do this together. This spot was paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, who we are big fans of. But now, back to our show. All right, Mandy, we have to talk about vaccines. So it's October. and It's it flu shot like season. Flu shot, shot season. season. That's right. Yes, that's true. But right now, according to the CDC's data, only about 49% of the country's fully vaccinated population have received their booster. Their COVID booster. Yes. Yes. yes so that's booster. less than less than half, you're yes. saying, right? And regardless of how we feel about COVID, what's kind of interesting is that the whole world is basically fully back open. People are traveling. I actually looked for flights from LA into... Niagara Falls because we were thinking of meeting my sister out there and like the flight prices were crazy. So that just tells me like everyone is going everywhere this mm -hmm. fall. And I'm not sure how I should feel about the fact that only half of less than half of the fully vaxxed population has gotten their booster. How should we feel about that, Mandy? Well, I think it's, it's a lot, right? It, and unfortunately in our country, vaccines were politicized to a detrimental effect, in my opinion. And I think a lot of our patients received one or two shots, like the first two, so that mm -hmm. they could go to places, right? People wanted to go on cruises, at least where I am, right? So I'm in South Florida again. So a lot of my clientele cruises. And a lot of people like to go on cruises as vacations. You couldn't go on a cruise if you weren't fully vaccinated. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So people would get their first and second shot and then be like, nope, I'm done. I'm out. That's it. I mm -hmm. did it. 
because yeah. it got me to be able to do what I wanted to do. Right. And what people, and there's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of distrust in our mm-hmm. system because I think we're just all information overloaded at all times. And who do we trust? Right. And depending on what you listen to, what you want to hear, you can find anything that you want to find on the internet. To support Um, your point of view. To support your Mm -hmm. point of view. Absolutely. And so it becomes critical for physicians to be able to have open, honest conversations with patients and their caregivers to say, help me understand why you're fearful of getting this vaccine. Mm-hmm. And and truly meeting people where they are. Now, I will say that the great majority of my patients are vaccinated mm-hmm. and they're fully vaccinated, right? With two shots and three boosters now. So it's for me, it hasn't been a, a terribly difficult sell because a lot of their friends, relatives have gone into the hospital really sick when mm-hmm. COVID first started. Or they themselves were really sick when COVID first started. And they saw that after the vaccines, they may get like a gentler illness Mm -hmm. that wasn't requiring hospitalization. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we've seen. COVID's not going anywhere, friends. Mm -hmm. It's here to stay, I think. But what we're seeing because the population is getting vaccinated is we're seeing milder courses of illness, which Mm -hmm. is wonderful. Right. But in those people who were still hesitant to even get their initial series of vaccines, they're sick and they're sick in the hospital. But we're seeing it less and less, which is good, but it's not gone away. And just like we get a flu shot every year, right? we don't call it a flu booster, but really that's kind of what it is. The flu vaccine is built based on the strain that we think that we're going to see in the upcoming flu season. That's what they're doing with the COVID boosters now. Right, The new bivalent vaccine is built with some of the original strain and some of the Omicron variant, which is the most prevalent variant right now in the United States. And that's why it's so important to get that particular booster, which is now available to people as young as five years old and is available two months after your primary series or two months after your last shot. So everybody should get it, and they're promoting doing it with your flu shot. Because October is flu shot month. At least in my house, we call October flu shot month. Because that's when Mandy remembers to get everybody their flu vaccines. Because it's really important for my kids to be vaccinated. They hate getting vaccinated. They hate shots. Like my little one is terrified of vaccines. But she'll do it. And, And she's really proud when she does it. We just recently traveled, Sharon, and we were the only people on the plane that were wearing masks. And that was really frightening to me. Wow. Yeah. Nobody's wearing masks. Yeah. I see that, like, because I ride two trains into Manhattan. One is, like, the commuter rail, and then the other is, like, the subway. And it's so funny. I feel like I can feel the pulse of either suburbanites or city folks based on percentage of the masks on the train. But, maybe I want to ask the question a different way. So, I mean, the older populations, our parents, many of your patients, are taking those precautions. Yeah. And then... I feel like the younger people aren't. And I mean, I think that's that's what kind of really frustrates me. At the beginning of the pandemic, it was all about saving grandma. Like, look, it might just be a flu, but we, we can't let grandma go to the hospital. That's kind of how people were positioning it. And then we're all kind of over it. We're tired. It's two and a half years. But it's like the same logic still applies. And for me, it feels like getting the shot. To your point about like why your daughter was proud, why my daughter was proud, even though she was scared as hell about getting her booster. It was this idea of, 
well, we kind of have to do it to protect each other. Mm -hmm. Like, why do you think that that messaging isn't working with people? Or what other messaging could work? So I'm trying to be diplomatic, but (laughs) what I'm going to (laughs) say is that we're selfish. Yeah. And we want our freedom. Whatever that means. I live in Florida. Have I said that enough times? I would imagine it's a little <laughs> bit different. Yeah. So here, COVID never existed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And and so it's been fascinating to watch the response to COVID from around the country. And I think not masking is like my kids went back to school this season without yeah. masks on. Yeah. The only place that people really are wearing masks anymore are in our offices and in our hospitals. And I think we should always wear masks in the hospital, quite frankly. And I really think we should wear them on airplanes if you think about all that recirculated air. But right. I digress. Yep. Yeah, um, no, I mean, it's for me, it's like in my workspace, we were not masked, but I know everyone I'm working with is vaccinated. Like I had to sign a piece of paper, but, but, but it's man on the train, public transit. Are you kidding? Like, it's, Well, you it's, just don't know, right? You don't know who you're going to interact with. The good yeah. news is, is that- when we're seeing cases now of COVID, we're seeing them mm-hmm. milder and milder. So that's good. However, we are still seeing that really severe. Some people, and if you're immunocompromised, if you're in one of those vulnerable populations, if you're caring for an infant who's under six months old, they can't get a vaccine, right? So a lot of grandparents are caring for kids who are little babies. They can't be yeah. vaccinated. So it behooves us all to be vaccinated. Right. To protect those most vulnerable amongst us, which are at the extremes of ages. Why people aren't doing it. I mean, my goodness. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I I really don't understand the why people aren't. And I try really hard to understand it and to really meet people where they are. And I, I get all of the vaccine hesitancy. You know, I had a patient the other day say to me, if I didn't have illness X, I wouldn't get any of these vaccines. But because yeah. I have illness X, I'm going to get vaccinated because I know that if I don't, I can get sick and I have to care for my husband who is chronically ill and needs me to care for him and I can't afford to get sick. So until it becomes personal at that deeply personal level, I think we're still going to have a really hard time reaching people on, dare I say, the fringes, right? Yeah. I think you're right. Or even, I mean, I honestly, even the mainstream, like- I'll be really frank. I'm my kids needed to get boosted to go back to school this fall. And it was only because of that that one I even took them to get boosted because like there was just I knew there were boosters, right? But there was kind of no mandate for them having to have the boosters and there was no restriction for them not having boosters because they were fully vaxxed already. So it was one of those things where it was just kind of like, oh yeah, we'll get to it. But it wasn't until Every year you've got to turn in the medical form or whatever. And it was Which like, you have to do for the flu, right? Right. So same well, thing. Yeah. Yep, they need thing, the flu. Right? It's a carrot yeah. stick thing. You're right. And when there's a stick, then then that forces you. And even for myself, so it wasn't until they needed a booster that I even got myself boosted because it was just kind of like, oh yeah, right. But I for, like literally it was almost like, oh, I forgot that I had to do that right now. And um, that's fascinating because as soon as the first set of boosters was up, I was like, okay, everybody, let's get in the car. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Right. It's like waiting in line for a Weezer concert right. for me. Yeah, right. It's like- right. And so I think there's a lot of people that are like, I w- like I'm definitely not on the fringe. I'm definitely not anti-vax. I'm just like, oh, I'm just going along with my life. Like I didn't. It's not and- a priority. 
it's not a priority. No one's asking to check my card. Like no one's questioning whether or not I've gotten that third booster shot. So it's like, whatever. And so I think going, so really, like, you should you be know, on five now. You should have had your, there's like, I, I know right? Mandy, I'm terrible. Okay, I'm just telling I, you. You need to be my adoptive sister or whatever we're going to call it, but you are now welcome to, to text me every time there's a new booster to just remind me that I've got to go to the doctor. Well, be I careful mean, what like you a, wish for, Sherry. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't want those texts. <laughs> no, but we talk about like we're selfish. And I, I want to own up to the selfishness. Like to me, the scary thing, like, yes, getting sick and COVID. And look, I make my money off my brain. Full stop. Right? Like I say words and I do math and I make money. And I seek fulfillment for my work and I can provide for my family. And long COVID scares me. The mm-hmm. idea of like like that's mm. like we work yeah. in an information economy in the United States of America. Whether you're a stand-up comedian, a doctor, an agency owner, a startup person, and it's like to lose my mental facilities at my prime earning. This is me being selfish. Like that's just that's not worth it. Like it's just like I like my life. <laughs> like like yeah. to to that. And again, I know not everyone gets it, but like my wife has a very very close friend in Florida who is an accountant. And she, like a lot of people in Florida, got it really early. And she can't keep the numbers in her head anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So scary. I cannot even imagine. That's like, so that's why, like, I am lined up like it's a Weezer concert to get my, my booster. Yeah. Anyway, that, and I think that, like, I don't know if, like, that's the selfish messaging for Americans, Mandy and Sharon, but, like, I kind of think it is. It's like, you want to you wanna lose your ability to, like, do what you love or do what it takes to survive in this country? I, I don't know, man. Do we need to have, like, remember those, and they still have them, the lung, the cigarette smoking commercials? Oh, yeah. Uh, with the yeah. people who are very chronically ill with lung cancer from yeah. smoking. And they're like, don't be me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that we want to put long COVID. Maybe we do need to put long COVID on display. I don't know. I mean, I've seen some metrics of, like, in, in, in New York. It's not that COVID's over here, but people are back to their life. And it's like, well, it's mild. I've, I've been it vaccinated. Is. I've been boosted. But that's right. the, that goes back to masking. It's just like, but there's like literally, I can't remember if it was CDC data. I saw this about three months ago and it was the incidence level of how many times you've been infected impacts the likelihood of you getting long COVID. And that just, I saw that chart and I just, I got really scared. And I, I'm not trying to be fear monger, but it's like, okay, so am I doing the things I can do to protect myself? Getting boosted, taking precautions not going to a Weezer concert, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. That's just me. I think we all have to 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 weigh our own risk-benefit ratio. Yeah. Right? In terms of, because the country isn't locked down. Yeah. And the world is continuing to move on. And I think that it's one of those things where each person is going to have to decide their own risk tolerance for themselves. It's hard. It, there is not a one size fits all answer here. There just isn't. But yeah. just know, I guess what I want one of the messages to be from this is if you have cold symptoms, please check yourself for COVID. Yeah. It's not just a cold. It may just be a cold. And I hope that that's all it is. Mm-hmm. But it still may be COVID. It's not gone. And you may have mild symptoms and you may not have the fever. If you have GI distress, right? Upper vomiting, lower loose stool diarrhea, check yourself for COVID. It may just be a GI bug, but it may be COVID. 
And it's really important to make sure that if it is COVID, that you're properly isolating yourself from everyone else to not continue the spread. So those are the disagreements that we're having a lot with folks. Oh, it's just a cold. I'm like, but it could be COVID. Yeah. We have rapid tests at home. And every time one of us is sick, we always test for COVID. Yeah. Just because, because you're right. You just don't know. You don't and know. we do have a responsibility to, if we do have COVID again, to like not need to leave the house and to be in quarantine. So absolutely, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely and my little right. girl is so afraid of that rapid test because we're all allergy kids <laughs> here at our house. And she's, I mean, she'll start crying. Well, no one likes anything up there. Nobody their nose. likes anything up there. No. Oh, no, man. No. The marketing of it up no. here is like, it's called the tickle test. <laughs> and like, oh, that's cute. At first, she hated it, but my son still hates it. Oh, because he's, but he's a baby. He's a total baby. He's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, Get that thing out of my nose. (laughs) But I do also want to say, people said that the children were traumatized from wearing masks. No, they weren't. No. Yeah. No. They wore them way better than all the rest of us did. Yeah. And for longer periods of time. Yeah. You know. I think they enjoyed it too. Like my third grader wanted to wear his mask all year this year in school. It's kind of, there's something about it. Yeah. Can I can I tell you something really gross? So uh, I was riding the train home and I sneezed in my mouth. Oh God! <laughs> they were like, we're talking like, about boogers now. <laughs> yeah, it was like 15 minutes left, and I was like, I have to keep this mask on for all of my passengers. <laughs> <laughs> so Mandy, yes. If we were to rewind the clock, going back to, I mean, we just kind of talked about boogers and ramen, so it's reminding me of like childhood again. <laughs> but if we were go back to Alabama. And to who you were when you had first decided to to maybe be a doctor for that first moment and to listen to your parents' advice. What is some advice that you give to yourself today? So as generic as this sounds, it's, it's really trust the process, right? Things aren't always going to work themselves out, but things will work themselves out the way that they're supposed to. And I know that that sounds cliche, but it's true. It's, it's truly just trusting yourself and trusting the process and knowing that you know enough in the moment to be able to make really sound decisions for yourself in that moment. So just trust the process. I love that. You know what I'd also tell young man? Oh, geez. Don't lock your brother in the kitchen closet. So, you know. <laughs> Should we really unpack that one? <laughs> what did you deserve? What did you do to deserve <laughs> that, I do? should say? Yeah, what did you do, Roman? <laughs> I, I feel like there's a whole story behind why she Let's would have done clear. that. Every older <laughs> child will relate to this. My brother could get away with anything. And did. Yep. And did. I mean, he could have lit the house on fire. <laughs> be holding the matchbook. And I would get told off for not watching him. Right. And then on the flip side of that, when I did try to watch him and boss him around, I'd get told off for that. So oldest right. children have it really rough. <laughs> and so it's so funny we about do. this is we really do. My, my wife and I are both youngest children and we have two kids, right? And one is an oldest and one is the youngest. And we tell our oldest, like, we don't know what you're going through right now with your little brother. Of course. <laughs> I'm kind of watching this whole thing play out, like, and from an outsider's perspective now. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll report back in about five or 10 years. <laughs> listen, there's this book called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and How to Listen So Kids Will Talk. It's like quite famous. I don't remember. It's a great parenting book. I don't know who the authors are. But anyways, they wrote another book called 
how to like deal with sibling rivalry or something like that. And it's fascinating because we're going through a lot of that in our house. And basically their premise is if let's say, right, you were married to or with your partner, significant other in a committed relationship with somebody. And all of a sudden this partner of yours brings in another partner and just says, here's this new person. You got to like them. Yep. They're here to stay. We don't care what you think. (laughs) I mean, you're going to be jockeying for position with that person, right? Sure. Yeah. And I was like, you have got to be kidding. That like explains it all. (laughs) Right. Doesn't it though? Right. Think about your own kids. Yeah. Both of you have two kids. That's what we do to them. And so we talk a lot in our house about equity, not equal. Not equality. Yeah. Equity, not mm-hmm. equality. You get what you mm-hmm. need. You don't get what you want. Yeah. Because it, it will never be equal, right? We always tell our daughter that our son has had three extra years of us alone. Yep. yep. And she yep. will get three extra years when he's gone to college. <laughs> right. Right? So it's like delayed for her, but yeah. that doesn't always fly. Sometimes they get it. Sometimes they don't, but. No. The analogy but, of the other person coming into the house, I was like, "That's hmm. a good one, though." I'm still reflecting on that. I'm like, "Wow, that is, yeah, that would totally rock anyone's world." So mm-hmm. that makes a ton of sense. And what I just realized too, Roman, if your oldest does have any issues with dealing with being the older just sister, she can call, call, Auntie, call Mandy. Auntie Mandy. Exactly. 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 I actually tell her that a lot. So. Aw. Yeah. And tell her, tell her that Auntie Mandy used to lock you in the the kitchen closet. I'm not telling like, her that. She's gonna, she's gonna know ideas. that she's gonna get really good advice on how to be a big sister. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mandy, talking to you was even more fun than I ever would have imagined, and I may have enjoyed it more than I enjoy talking to your little brother on most days. <laughs> I'm amazing. Because you are amazing. I will come back oh, anytime. I'm glad, I'm, glad, I'm, glad two pe- I'm glad two people enjoyed this. <laughs> but Hush it. Doctor- you loved it too. So Even if I was their 15th choice for doctor on the podcast. You were not. Saying. You were not. You were not. You're but- just so, you're so in demand with all your medical oh, conferences. Yeah. You've you got so much going on. You're so busy. But I do think you've earned a speed round. Are you ready for a very special pandemic related speed round? So Roman will say that no one's ever ready for speed round, but <laughs> I am his sister and I am totally ready for speed round. Amazing. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Amazing. And we did a special one for you. So it's a little bit like oh pandemic and kind of doctory because you already, you listened to this podcast so much, like you would have known all the answers. So you would have had like pre-prepped answers. See, because I'm a good med student and like, we like prepare. Oh, She's man. just literally like. Throwing out the PowerPoint she had. <laughs> right. Exactly. Scrap all of I'm gonna, that. I'm going to crumple up my notes. Scrap all of it. <laughs> what is one surprising thing that happened during the past couple of years related to the pandemic? Oh, my gosh. You know how all of us who are working parents, like, and even those of us who aren't, are always just busy with the day-to-day of regular life, are kind of always in our minds, whether we articulate it or not, saying that we wanted to spend more time with our family. Yeah. And, oh my goodness, wouldn't it be great if we just had more time with our family? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we got we got it. A lot of time with our a family. A lot of time with our family. <laughs> Three meals a day, 24-7. And like we yep. were making cocktails every day at five o'clock and then that became not fun. <laughs> but we became really good mixologists during the pandemic. The The part of it though that was surprising to me is how much I just love my kids. Mm. And I love 
listening to them. I love laughing with them. I love seeing their quirkiness. I love seeing how so much of me is reflected in them. So much of my husband is reflected in them. Just that time together. I don't know if that was surprising, but it was just lovely. And I wish we could go back and slow down time some more because I loved it. I mean, I don't want the whole country to stop again. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> but I, I really feel the, just, I feel the same way. I mean, I felt like I everything realize... sped back up now, and I, yeah. I kind of want it to go back to to slow again. There was something really lovely about that. I mean, not the whole world falling apart, but definitely the fact that we had so much quality time together. Yeah, we read the whole yeah. Beverly Cleary series together. Is amazing. <laughs> we watched every movie on Disney Plus together. Every single one. All of them. <laughs> Probably, yeah, I think like we ran out of movies after a while. It was a very long two years, Mandy. Yeah, because you guys did like movie night. Like every we did day movie night like every that. night because I thought it was going to be like two weeks. I'm like, it was fun. We'll do movie night. And two years later, every movie. Every movie. We tried to do the Marvel movies and then my daughter kiboshed that. She said they were too violent. Oh. Uh, so we had to respect that. I, I don't want to hear that. And I'll have to have a stern talking to. I know. Her, uh, favorite. Northeastern uncle. All right. What has been your favorite book, movie, or TV show that has doctors you relate to that is not Scrubs? Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Because, no, the reason I know when I talk to other doctors that Scrubs is, like, the most realistic is because you told me that. All your friends told me that. So give me another one. Give me another one. So most of the doctor shows, like, in the the Mandy era, I can't even say modern era, in the Mandy era, (laughs) all started at the same portion of like if, when I was a third year medical student ER came out and there was a third year medical student on that show which was amazing because I was like oh my gosh that's me my lived life experience on TV I mean some of it's kind of fake right but there's a lot of it you you have to watch the medical shows with a healthy dose of like knowing that it's not real because a lot of it as many medical advisors as they have on the show they still often get things wrong but scrubs was amazing and I, I want to still pick that show because <laughs> There really just aren't any others that I can think of that I would say, hey, I really relate to that one. Grey's Anatomy. No nah. people falling in love and no making out in the, there, There's no know. time for that. Because in Grey's Anatomy, like the only people they really focus on are the surgeons. And then that's sort of the bent of that show, but the surgeons can't do everything. Right. But they do right. in that show. No, it's Scrubs. I thought you were okay. going to ask me like – who is the person on Scrubs that I most related to? I was like ready to answer that question. Oh, go for it. So it's JD. Yeah, yeah. It's JD for sure. Yeah. Of course. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> what is your favorite pandemic dish? Oh, gosh. Hmm. The cocktails at five o'clock? The cocktails at five o'clock. That's not a dish though. I'm trying to think like. What do we make a lot of? Okay, I'll tell you one of our pandemic purchases. We purchased, well, my husband purchased a pizza oven. And not like one of those uni pizza ovens. Like we have like a professional pizza oven. Wow. That can make a pizza in two minutes. So pizza, homemade pizza. Nice. That's awesome. How, like, do you plug it in? Like mm-hmm. where, where does it go? Yeah, it's like a grill. It sits outside. Cool. And it's almost like a thundur. So I'm going to get all the specifics of this wrong and he's going to hear this and be like, that's not true. (laughs) But it's a fancy pants pizza oven that it also can roast a chicken super fast. It can make bread super fast. It can do all sorts of things super fast. And it's about the size of a a standard grill. That's very cool. Stand up pizza oven. Yeah. So we've had lots of pizza nights. 
So even though this is our vaccine episode, I still have to ask the question because I'm I think I know the answer, but I'm genuinely curious. Mandy, what's your favorite mom dish? Oh, you know the answer to this one. Well, explain it because it's not a popular dish. Explain it to people. It is not a popular dish, and and it is my least favorite dish. And it is Roman's least favorite dish, <laughs> but it is it is my absolute favorite dish. So much so that we had it at my wedding, and people were like, "You're gonna have that at your wedding?" And I was like, "It's my favorite dish." <laughs> what is it? <laughs> so, yes, I'm having that at my wedding. Um, so it's called gutty chal, and it's basically a poor man's food. It's delicious. It's made out of a flour that is called besan. I don't know what it actually is in English, but it's a type of flour and buttermilk and turmeric, so holy, Mm -hmm. and mustard seeds and bay leaves. And it's a yellowish color and you fry vegetable fritters or pakoras and you put them in there and you serve it over rice. And it's like spicy and tart all at the same Mm. time it is delicious you can never find it in a restaurant sort of on the secret menu you can ask for it they'll look at you like what that's more like a great it's like a grandma dish it well it's peasant food so that's why everybody was like why are you having that at your wedding i was like it's my favorite thing to eat of course i'm gonna have it at my wedding but it kind of like like fritters does it when you serve it does it look like fritters it looks like chicken and dumplings yeah but they're like they're like okay but there's no chicken uh-huh. So the, the right. fritters, the, the pakoras get put in the sauce. Soggy pakoras. That's soggy pakoras. Oh, but I they're get delicious. It. No, they're soggy not Soggy really... pakoras and, no, soggy pakoras in buttermilk mustard. No, <laughs> that's... that's not true. It's like mustard <laughs> seed, oh, whatever. It's not. No, it's delicious. It's absolutely delicious. And it's you know, and you know, the, the beauty of me not liking it, it's more for Mandy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. there you go. There you go. You don't have to fight over it. Gross. Never. <laughs> he refused to eat it. And it was the one thing that my parents like gave him a pass on. Yeah, it's my only well because it like it literally triggers the vomit. Like thinking about it, I'm kind of getting the But I mean I can I, I can see how maybe that felt that, that it's heavy because it's got buttermilk in it. But no, but it's not heavy. It's it's hard to describe. We'll just have to make you some, but it's like <laughs> make me some. I can't wait. Delicious. <laughs> It is, and we, and, have, we have an aunt in LA. You could like roll in, and she would make yeah, it for you. Yeah, but Perfect. yeah, she would. But you'd never leave. So actually, <laughs> because she'd adopt you, because she's amazing. So, but the thing is, is that it was the only dish at our wedding that was all gone, and not because I oh. ate it all. Yeah. See, so Remen, a lot of other people like this. A dish. lot of other people like it. Hey, I'm I'm a beautiful and unique snowflake. What can you I are. You are. <laughs> Mandy, who's someone out there in the healthcare community that you'd want to talk to on a podcast? The Surgeon General. The current oh, Surgeon General. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he's amazing. And I think he's very humble. And he's a primary care doctor. So there you go. He's a general internist. Dr. Morthy. That. Mm-hmm. That's him. perfect. He was all, wait, wait, don't tell me today. I heard that on the radio today. I thought that was a pretty dope move of him. I mean, he didn't come on our podcast, but whatever. Well, Mandy. now that I've been on your podcast, we can work to get him on your podcast. Oh, he's already been on Rajiv's. Really? Uh, Rajiv. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Mandy, last question. What does being a modern minority mean to you? We all have our own stories. And I think being a modern minority to me means being okay with who you are, embracing all of that, quirks and all, and embracing those qualities and quirks in other people even when they're your brother with a podcast yeah. <laughs> especially when they're my brother with a podcast 
I love that. I love that. Mandy, you are so lovely and so wonderful. And I just want to really thank you for being here today, but also thank you for listening for the last two years or so. And thank you for putting up with Roman and for shaping who he is today. Because <laughs> oh without God. you. <laughs> All those hours in the closet, just like really. Oh my gosh, the closet again. <laughs> now, Mandy, I apologize for it taking this long for us to get our favorite doctor from Florida on the podcast, who happens to also be my sister. But I don't think I'd be the person I was if it wasn't for all the stuff. So thank you. Oh, that's really nice, Roman. That is so sweet. I feel like if we're in the same room, I make you guys hug. Oh, we hug all the time. We really do like each other, friends. We really do. Yeah, yeah. I'll see you at the next family thing, whenever that is. Whenever that is. <laughs> now that I know you got a pizza oven in the backyard. Yeah, I'm coming over too. Come on, we'll fire it up. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us, hi mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. I've been Roman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.